hello, hello. Welcome back to Ready, Set, Free podcast with your host, Kai Wilson, where I want you to be financially free, physically free, spiritually free, and emotionally free. Welcome to November, everybody. Second weekend here, November, first week, second week of November. So I don't know the date. Anyway, um, so happy anniversary. We are now officially past one year. Thank you guys all for getting back on board. Hopefully all of our listeners are um, joining us again. I'm glad to be back. I'm excited. I feel like a lot has changed in that little amount of time that I was gone. So um, today I'm going to do a episode. I have a guest with me. I kind of have a guest, <laughs> partial guest. Partial will be here a lot, but um, he's the first this is his first time on the microphone, so we're going to say he's a guest. Thank you. And apparently he's my cousin, um, <laughs> says Mr. Link Green. I have my cousin here today, Kevin Wilson. Hello, everyone. How are you? And Kevin is a co-owner of Social Hooligans, who is recording the podcast for me here. Kevin, thank you very much for coming. Thank you so much for having me. And what would you like to say about yourself, Kevin? You want to give yourself a little background? Sure. Um, I am an audio engineer. We own a studio production company, uh, audio production company, and a financial literacy retirement help and um, education. We also do podcast recording and multiple other things. We are into technology and we have two beautiful little kids that we are training to be self-sufficient and financially everything that you say in your beginning <laughs> <laughs> um and we're th very thankful for you having us here no absolutely so yeah they have two little boys and they are so adorable so i can't wait one day to share their pictures or have them um on the broadcast or something because i have no sons and they have two and they're just the most beautiful little boys but anyway so thank you for coming on with me today and we thought maybe today we would name that we'd put this discussion in the real estate section. So obviously both of us are here. We're in um, the suburbs of Atlanta, south suburbs of Atlanta. So we're not going to be speaking, quote unquote, as experts in real estate. Like we're neither of us are real estate agents. We're not licensed. We own homes and we live in homes. Right. <laughs> but we're not licensed agents. I'm uh a very 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 minutely small real estate investor i mean i'm i'm a really small part of a real estate investor but i'm going to speak about it from um from two viewpoints first of all again i'm an insurance agent so i'm talking to mortgage companies all the time i'm talking to clients buying homes all the time i'm talking to friends and family and then i'm talking to the people that are always soliciting to buy my home for me um, and then I'll talk from that side. Like I said, I'll talk from the side of being the insurance agent and what I see big picture that's happening with a lot of people. And then I'll talk about my personal side of just discussions I have with other people. And Kevin. I just want to actually understand what's really going on with the real estate world and financially what's going to end up happening. Um, you know, I am a first time homeowner. We moved from New York to Georgia to actually have a home for our kids to be able to run around. In New York, we already understand that you're not going to get a lot for a lot. You know, 
So we came here to Georgia to figure out, you know, a better life for our kids. And then we're starting to realize things in the real estate market is changing. Things in real estate is changing. Um, when we moved here, we rented uh, for three years and then we ended up being able to purchase our first home and everything in our area is completely changing. Um, there's a development happening literally right down the block, which is now at a standstill because we don't know why. Um, they're starting a new development, probably less than two miles from that first development that they started. And that's just at a standstill also. So we're just kind of trying to figure out exactly what's going on. And I'd like to get some understanding and really figure out what it is. Okay. So like I said, we're, this is unofficial. This is just what we see and recognize and my little small bit of expertise we'll talk about. So, um, what he is mentioning very true. Um, where my office is located, it's not even a half a mile, a quarter of a mile, right on the other side of the shopping center. Right. There's another development, housing <laughs> development going up right here. Like literally I could see the trees on the other side of the parking lot and it's on the other side. So yeah, we have a lot of development going on here and home sales in our area. I know it's been similar around the country, um, but home sales here in the Atlanta area are still up right now. We're still it's still buying wars. You're still having to bid 10, 20,000 over asking price just wow. to get your bid accepted. So over the last year, I had at least I want to say three episodes on real estate. And I had um, a couple different people on with different views. OK, so I had more of a traditional real estate agent. She took one view and I had more of a real estate investor, and he had a different view of what was happening. So um, I think I looked at it a little bit closer. Well, and I'm not going to say either of them were right or wrong. Let me just say the real estate um, agent, her view, of course, is one from the person buying, buying the, like you said, making your first home purchase, moving your family in. You want all the traditional stuff. You want the garage, the backyard, blah, blah, blah. Right. And for what she said, it was was true and accurate. But then looking from the investor's side, um, investors look uh, forward. They're mm -hmm. very forward looking. So they don't want to know just this one house built today. They want to know what is going to happen in 10 years to this investment. Like, what, what am I getting for this return? And the individual retail buyer is not, you know, they just... I want to be in the school district. I want to have a backyard. They're right. not really looking at that type of stuff. So both of them were pretty accurate on what they were saying, but they just were at different angles. So all that to say, I tend to think a little bit more um, or think closer to the investor side of real estate. So I try to, the best of my ability, look towards the future. Even with my own home purchases, I want to look at, I kind of go in honestly with even my my own purchases <laughs> with the future. Um, I plan to be here this many years. I hope to get this much out of this investment when I sell it or if I leave it and I rent it or this is the plan long term with it. Right. So I'm looking I I, I want to say I want to think that I'm looking out for the in the future for my purchase. So when looking out for the future, because like I said, when we purchased the home, it was we, we purchased an older development. Um, it was built, I believe, in 97. And the pe it, it's a beautiful home. Um, but what? how do you prepare for that? Like forward thinking? and Okay. So that's a good question. Um, 
if you go to, and it depends city and counties because different municipalities work different ways, but um, I took a class maybe. I can't remember how I found out this information, but you can go to your city or county, whoever's doing your development and zoning and stuff like that. They actually have, I want to say it's 30-year plans, and they may be different for different municipalities, but they have like 10-year plans, 30-year plans. Some of them even go out to a 50-year plan. Oh, wow. And I'm not even sure if it's supposed to be public information, not supposed to be public information, but when you find the right um, department that is overseeing that for Mm -hmm. you, you can go to the city buildings or government building, and you can look at the planning and zoning for the future of that city. Wow. So big, big, big time investors, they know this. They know how to do that. So they can say, hey, look, in 20 years, they plan to build a mall here. They're anticipating widening this road. They know with so much growth, they're going to need schools in this area, this area, whatever. So depending on what you're trying to build, you want to go there, you want to get that information, and then you want to buy or not buy (laughs) based Based on on what's there. Um. So the other aspect of what we did was we bought into a uh, community. Mm-hmm. So it's uh, plan development, plan community. Yeah, it, it, yeah. In a sense, like all of the houses were it's cotton fields is what it's called. Right, right. Um, and then we drive in, and it's a whole subdivision. That's what it's called, subdivision. And um, is this something that's like traditionally done, like? people building subdivisions and having people move in or is it now where they're just building like these townhouses and having just multiple families in them so uh, subdivision is relative well not new to me now but it's newer to me and probably i would get you guys know i'm from evanston which is chicago land you're from new york yeah so in the areas we're from there's not a lot of land no so the houses in, I think there may be two, quote unquote, subdivisions in my old, I, I think maybe even one. Like we don't have subdivisions in my hometown. Mm-hmm. The houses were all built from, my city's like 200 years old, I believe. So the the houses were built 200, you know, started being built 200 years ago. Right. Um, they were all homesteads at that point. Then by the time we got into the more industrial area and stuff, there just is not a lot of land. Right. So by the time the whole term and the concept of subdivision came to be, mm-hmm. there was not enough land to build a subdivision. Gotcha. Because my town is little and it was already populated. Right. So until I left for college or when my father was living in Arizona, we'd go to see him in Arizona for the summers. Areas, cities that were newer and Mm -hmm. still had a lot of land, they had subdivisions. Gotcha. And my sister and I thought these were the coolest things in the world. They had swimming pools in these subdivisions and they had their own playground inside the developments. And it was really cool. Gated communities. Communities, Like we didn't (laughs) see gates. We don't have gates where I'm from. Everybody, you have your own fence. A fence, not a gate. (laughs) Um, So all that was really new to me. Mm -hmm. And by then I'm in like middle school. And then, of course, going through college and coming to Georgia. Yeah, now we have these big subdivisions. They have names. I live in this one and I live in there. They all have their different little attitudes and popularity and all this little stuff. So um, I think subdivision, obviously, as an investor, Mm -hmm. that's a way to make um, a lot of money. I don't know. Well, a lot of money. 
kind of faster and easier, Got I would it. guess. Um, when you build just one house, you have one client, you're doing one-on-one. Oh, I don't want the red one. I want the green one. I right, you know, right, just all right. this back and forth. And you have to build at a certain speed because you only can move as fast as your buyer and all this stuff. Right. Well, with a subdivision, of course, you buy a big old lot. Mm-hmm. You make all the grand decisions, all the major decisions the builder right. makes. Gotcha. And then, of course, when you go into subdivision, they give you a list of 12 things. You can either have this one or this one. Mm-hmm. You can either have that one or that one. Gotcha. You know? And so they are able to buy in bulk. Um, they can keep their timeline, their process going pretty quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, you get a dead. They give you a deadline. It's not gotcha. the reverse when you're doing one on one. Gotcha. With the okay. Subdivision. They say you have to have these selections made by this date, or we make the selection for, for you. you. We keep going. Gotcha. Um, and that's interesting because, again, I was from New York, and we're like, gotta buy new. Gotta everything has to be new, and. We started looking at some of the newer developments. One, there was no backyard. Mm-hmm. It was like because the lots become smaller, smaller and smaller and smaller, and they start going up too. Exactly. If you don't notice, everything right. starts going up and to make the lot even smaller. smaller. So you still get some square footage, but, you but less land, so they can put more units on the, the land. Right, and the newer places weren't really fashioned really well. It seemed like they were hurried up put them together, let's do it as cheaply as possible and make sure that we can get people in and let them worry about all of this stuff on the back end. So Avita, my wife, she ended up finding a beautiful place in the subdivision that we're in and it's an older build and it seems like they actually took their time back then to really put these houses together. Is this something that's like gonna end up coming back where they spend time putting houses together or are they gonna just continue to stay on this this quick and easy thing nobody knows for sure the answer to that but what what does this country run on profits Profits. right (laughs) so how do you make the the biggest profit cutting out the cheapest products and the cheapest labor right and so unless you get this um uh this conscious company that is so into quality and efficiency. <laughs> you know, <laughs> unless we find that company and that owner, I'm, I'm going to air to most of them are still going to go for profit margin. Oh, man. Which is why, like you said, lots are getting smaller and smaller. Buildings are going higher instead of wider because you can put more units, units. on. Right. Um, yeah, that's. Same thing. My house is older, too. I I had a set of things I've demanded that I could that I wanted to purchase. Mm -hmm. And it was very, very difficult to find the things I wanted in any new home development. Like it was near. Well, first of all, a new home wouldn't work. I didn't want HOA. So that was that was number one on my list. I did not want this group (laughs) of people that told me how many cars could be in my driveway. Right. And again, being from up north, not understanding that I didn't, I never knew what an HOA yeah, was. Yeah, me neither. I never knew what it was, what the purpose was. Like we had condo associations because we got plenty. You in New right. York, yeah, plenty of condo condos. associations, but right. that was always just a condo, and I never lived in a condo, so it didn't matter. But exactly. no, the condo station now here is a homeowners association, which yeah. is pretty much almost the same thing. I really still to this point don't understand why we have a homeowners association, like. You don't really regulate anything within the subdivision, and well, ha ha ha, they can. 
That's what I heard. And be careful because depending on what your association's bylaws are, they actually have. And there was a movie out, I believe, about this a long time ago. But um, this was a big thing for a while because they were putting liens on people's houses. The association was putting a lien on people's houses and people were losing their houses because of liens on from the associations. So you have to see, I mean... What does your bylaw say? If your grass is over six inches, we can do this or we can do that. You have too many cars. You wow. can't paint your house certain colors. Um, I didn't come prepared a lot to talk about this. And this was an older, you're only coming to Georgia, you said four or five years ago? We've been, it's going to be five years. Okay. So now I moved to Georgia my first time in 1991. Okay. And so that was when I first started seeing subdivisions. And not, but it wasn't in 91, probably around early 2000s um that's when the it was a lot of news about um associations and the damages they were causing um it happened a lot at the time lived in vegas okay so these associations had these really strict laws and if you didn't follow them they put liens on your property and you lost your property somehow and the association took over the property so it was really crazy um, and I, I believe they put in some new laws possibly now that kind of stopped and that protect. type of thing. Yeah. From protecting homeowners. But yeah, the associations could get vicious. Wow. And I just was never one for them. I lived in one before and they just, you know, I watched them harass a neighbor before just for no reason. You would think like you purchased your home. You should be able to do whatever you want with the property that you've purchased. And the fact that you're subjugated to whatever these people decide to do is is kind of baffling to me. Yeah. I mean, if you are the type of person that wants to ensure, um, I'm not a perfectionist, but if you're the type of person that wants to ensure everything is where it's supposed to be at every moment and, you know, everything is uniform, everything lines up you're probably a good candidate for an association. If you feel like you don't think people can self-govern themselves or you just, like I said, you like uniformity. Um, you know, in my brain, I think Stefford wives. <laughs> you, and that's where I go every time. I'm like, okay, people who don't want to be out the box. Right. They like the box. They're comfortable with the box. They like the uniform. They don't want anyone looking unique or individual. Right. Or only unique or individual enough that it still fits in the box. Gotcha. <laughs> so that's something that's not even feasible because everyone, you know, you again, I guess maybe I'm an idealistic person. Like everyone purchases a home to make it their own. So you don't want these cookie cutter looking well, things. Or Unfortunately, that's what, how you and I feel. Gotcha. There are people that do not feel that way. Which is, again... So they want all the houses to be one of three colors. They want all the yards to look a certain way. And I mean, I'm not saying I want the junkyard next to my house either. Of course. But it's individual. I, You guys know I'm, I'm pro-choice. Um, right. All the way. Right. Pro-choice. Whether I agree with it or not, I'm, I am truly pro-choice. Do what is right for, for you. you. I will do what's right for me. You can do what's right for you. I may not like what you select. Right. It may not be what I select, but that's you, you know, and I'm not going to move into a place and then harass you to death. 
mm-hmm. because I don't like what you're doing, especially if you were there first. Right. Like I moved there knowing you were there doing ABC and I made the decision to buy anyway. So now I'm buying and then come and harassing you to death because I don't want you to do, you know, just to me is ridiculous. Right. So I want to ask a couple of questions about where we're at now with the government and housing and what exactly is happening with that. Um, you know, we're like you were speaking on your other podcast, we're probably heading into super inflation and, you know, money is not as readily available for a lot of things. What exactly is going to happen with the housing market and the buying market with super inflation on the way? So again, I'm I'm just speaking from, you know, my perspective here. Mm-hmm. I, I don't have a magic ball. And <laughs> I don't even have a real estate license. I took the class. Remember, I did take the real estate class and I took the appraisers class. OK, but I'm not licensed neither. I just took the formal classes. <laughs> so um, it can really go a couple of ways. Of okay. course, if we fashion it from the the the, the bust, I was going to say boom. Well, it was a boom, but then the bust of 2008, mm-hmm. we would think that everything's just going to crash, right? Right. We're going to see what happens or we're going to follow what happened before. Everybody was, it was a similar market to now. People were buying and selling like crazy. They were bidding up, paying over cash out of pocket. You know, it just, it was, it was craziness, complete craziness. Right. And it looks similar today. Right. But there are some differences. Um. We, I, I don't know what the inflation rate was at that point. I don't think it was bad. I think we were still within, quote unquote, whatever our average, yearly average inflation rate would be. Mm-hmm. Um, that is not what we're seeing right now. Right now, we are in a high inflationary number. So that's one factor. Yeah. Um, then we did have low interest rates. So we are in that buying frenzy back in, started around 2006 or five, something like that. Yep. Um, we had low interest rates then, and they were kind of giving away loans. Loans are pretty, you had a pulse, you can get a loan. Right. They've done that this time too. They're starting to clamp down on it as we speak mm-hmm. um, because the banks see what's coming. So they're starting to tighten their mortgage guidelines. Gotcha. But over the last year or so, they weren't very tight. Everybody again could get a mortgage mm-hmm. and the rates were great. I mean, people kept telling me to refinance because they had low rates and I already had a Pretty low rate, so it didn't make any sense. Right. But the difference this time, one of the biggest differences, other than the hyperinflation or what's coming, (laughs) is that we have these couple of corporations that are buying up a lot of the market. And we did not have that before. So that is a, not that I'm aware of. So that is a a new, um, I don't know, what's a new uh, thing in the fire. What do you say? Uh, a, a <laughs> What's new that saying? Stoke st- uh, yeah, stoke in the fire, whatever. Mm-hmm. I don't know the saying. But um, <laughs> yeah, so we have these companies now, major corporations that are coming in and they're buying up a considerable part of the real estate. And right. not only are they buying and reselling homes, but for years already, they've been buying up homes and renting them. So mm. they've been landlords. Got it. So the landlord issue has been going on for at least about 10 years. I talked about the article before, guys, on the show, um, but I still actually have a copy of the article. The title of it is When Wall Street Becomes Your Landlord. And I think it was by um, 
the Independent. I'm going to tell you in just a second who did it. The Atlantic, sorry, not the Independent. It was the Atlantic. It was an article that they did titled When Wall Street Becomes Your Landlord. Anyway, it talked about these major corporations that had been buying up properties and renting them out mm. as landlords. That's still happening. But on top of that, we have these companies that are also buying homes and reselling them. So they've become um, real estate investors, flippers, you know, I don't know, whatever you want to call them. Investors. Yeah, investors. investors. (laughs) But their target market is the new homes and the middle class homes. Got it. So the new home buying home, or, you know, the low end new home purchasers mm-hmm. and then the middle class. So maybe you're purchasing your second or third home and you're just middle income. Right. That's been their target. They're not buying the million dollar mansions. Those investors, again, are the builders that are buying those and putting um, developments. Right. Um, but the the other thing they're buying are the smaller homes, which is reducing the inventory for just regular buyers because they buy them up in swaths. You know, right. they're buying. I don't even know what the number is. I don't know if it's public anywhere, but you know, they're buying thousands a month. Wow! And you guys have seen it. Anybody listening who is in any of these markets where the real estate has the market has gotten smaller, the prices have gone up. You have received, I've gotten a text message that says, hey, are you willing to sell your home? I get the flyers where people actually walked up to my house and left a flyer in the doorway. I've gotten that too. Yeah, you get the postcards or the letters in the mail. Hey, call me. And when we drive up the street, we see the the billboards. We buy homes. Homes. Mark Spain and and all of these. The little yard things they put on the side of the of the roads that yeah. just says "We'll buy your house" or something, you know. Uh, it, I don't. I never really understood that. Like you're buying homes, I get it, um, but why such an influx now? Well, um, so what is the saying that the future they keep talking about? In the future, you'll own nothing and you'll be happy about it. Got it. So I kind <laughs> of think this is feeding into that. So we all thought it was a joke. Ha ha. It was so funny. We had all the little memes. Right. You'll uh, in the future, you'll own nothing and you'll be happy about it. Um, That seems to be feeding into that. I don't know if I want to say joke or I don't even know what to call it. Well, it's a reality now. Yeah, it's becoming a reality. People are just continuing to just facilitate whatever they they see. are you really getting a big bang for your buck when they buy your home, though? Are you really getting full value? Uh, usually, no, because okay. this is a company and they want to turn a buck on it as well. well. So the perks that I see or what they've told me is quick close because usually it's cash. <laughs> so <laughs> they don't have to do all no underwriting and all that stuff. So um, the things I see, they say quick close for people who need to get in. And, and right now, quick close is a big incentive for people. Got it. Because some people are now very upside down because they took the moratorium where they didn't have to pay the mortgage. Right. Now those moratoriums are coming due. And what a lot of people never realize, I don't know how you got burned on this a second time because they did this in 2008. Got they it. They gave you the moratorium and everybody in their mind assumed that meant no payments for six months, 12 months, whatever. And then when I restart, I'm going to restart. At the same payment amount, just pick up today. Right. And that's not what the banks did. 
They mm-hmm. said, oh, we, we let you not make a payment for 12 months and you start now December 1st and now we're going to need $12,052. Right, because of that big balloon. Pay- so a lot of people that I know um, took that. Mm-hmm. They were like, yeah, we're going to hold off. We're not working. We're in the pandemic. I don't need to work and, and pay you know, my mortgage because I can't. Mm-hmm. You know, I need to put food on the table for my children. Mm-hmm. So they called their companies and they were like, sure, we'll take care of you. Mm-hmm. You don't have to pay for Made six months. Made it real months. easy for them. Super. They will fill out the paperwork for you. We'll do all of the extra things that are needed. Because we're going to make more money on the back end. Exactly. Or we're going to take your house back. <laughs> so <laughs> they ended up having to pay back seven, eight, nine months worth of mm-hmm. uh, mortgage payments. And there's no help on the backside of that. No. So they gave you this... They, they kind of dangled this carrot in front of you saying like, hey, we're going to help you. But technically, this doesn't help. So you're desperate, of course, because when are the best deals available for anything? When, when people desperate. are desperate. Right. For any market, not just homes. Right. For anything. You're going to get the best deal when people are desperate. So they fed off of that. It was very intentional. Mm-hmm. The banks are never there to help you. So they fed off of the desperation. Um, I don't know if there was a legal, quote unquote, mandate that they had to do this, but you know, the fine print and the things people forgot to ask is mm-hmm. when this nine months is over, six months, whatever program you you opted for, how are my payments going to restart? What will I owe on the first day of my repayment? Right. Um, some banks will uh, push the um, the missed payments to the end of the loan, mm-hmm. at, but it's been very difficult. A lot of banks made it extremely, extremely difficult to get that option. Are you able to negotiate those types of things in the beginning before you even take the moratorium? I would. I, I, I've kind of figured that that would be an option for you to, I to do, I would have right? never signed without having that in writing. Got it. And again, if this is the first time you've been through this process and maybe back in 08, you didn't own a property at that time. So you really weren't aware. You weren't reading the news. Um, th- they did the same thing back then. Got they it. did the same thing. And then they came back and they slammed everybody with these payments. Um, so the only person I really can kind of say shame on you is a person who got caught with this a second time. Like, right. I don't know how many times you're going to get burned with the same trick. So the banks did almost the exact same thing they did before. Mm-hmm. Um, and there are, I mean, some banks, it depends on the bank you're with, but some banks, if you really, really pushed, and I mean, it was going to take a lot of man hours, you could get it rolled over onto the back. And there's some, um, I worked for one, well, not worked for one, but, um, Operation Hope. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I was a volunteer. That. Yeah. With, uh, uh, what's his name? Bryant. His last name is Brian. Can't think. John Hope Bryant. It's his nonprofit. But yeah, back in 08, I volunteered and Mm -hmm. that's what I did. I was helping people who were under um, upside down on their mortgages Mm -hmm. or had taken a moratorium and had not been paying. And I was helping mediate between um, the the buyer Mm -hmm. and the bank to -hmm. try to get these payments somewhere where the person could maintain and retain their property right. and still, you know, be on good terms with the bank and get back on a payment schedule. So again, I saw it up close and personal. So when it happened again, this time I'm trying to tell people, anybody I had contact with, mm-hmm. 
if you're going to take this option, you need to ask these seven questions and you need to get it in writing because those reps on the telephone don't really mean anything. Mm -hmm. Whatever they say is irrelevant. Some of them knowingly, willingly lie. Some of them are just lying because they're reading the script script that was provided to them, which was a lie. Right. None of it really matters. You need it in writing. Got it. Those calls are recorded. But they're owned by the bank. They're not owned by you. So if you didn't make your own recording. So when you pick up the phone and says this call is being recorded, you need to turn around and say, yeah, I need to let you know this call is being being recorded recorded. as well. And you need your own copy. Otherwise, you're only going to get a copy of the recording if you subpoena them. And that's a long process, blah, blah, blah. I've noticed. um, So my mother, before when she passed away, she had two properties in Florida and we kind of went through the same thing with that. Uh, She was ill. They took advantage of the fact that she was ill. Um, And me trying to negotiate with them, first off, I never knew anything about homes. You know, I wasn't educated on that. Um, I wasn't educated on saying like, hey, my mother passed away and I need a time one to grieve and two, to figure out how to make these payments. Right. I just jumped in and started having to make payments. Um, and I ended up upside down pretty quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, and they did not help. What they ended up doing was, yeah, we can put you off. We can put you off. And then it got to a point where they were like, so are you ready to sell your home? And they, I, I was like, no. They was like, well, you can sell your home to us for this amount less the amount that you owe us on your mortgage. And I was kind of like, well, why didn't you help me from the beginning? Why didn't I sell (laughs) back then to you before I owed you more money and now I get less back and I've paid paid you you. along. I know it's all a big scam. If you do the math, I've, I've done the math for people before and I'm like, let's just do a really basic mathematical equation. Mm hmm. And maybe I've shared it before, but just this, you're the prime example. I owed $100,000 or not even, let's let's start here because this is what happened to you. I bought the home for $100,000, right? Mm-hmm. I put $5,000 down when I bought the house, okay? So I gave the bank $5,000 already. I owed $95,000. Right. I paid on the house for six years, whatever. Right. I gave them an additional $10,000 over my six years of payments, which $10,000 is, well, no, that's probably about right. That, mm-hmm. <laughs> that wasn't $10,000 principal. That was mostly interest. But I gave them another $10,000. Right. So they've gotten $15,000 of cash from me. Right. I go on the moratorium now, okay? I lost my job, whatever happened. I'm on the moratorium six months, whatever. Right. I start working. I'm not making as much as I was making before, but they come back to me. I owe all this money because they charge late fees. They right, charge moratorium right. fees. Like they charge all these fees that they tax, which they didn't also <laughs> willingly mm. disclose to you when you took this exactly. program in the beginning. Um, so let's say now I'm $20,000 into this property. I've, the bank has received 20000 Right. So the bank, the house is worth 80000 mm-hmm. Well, it's worth more. But the bank is the bank has received twenty thousand dollars towards the eighty thousand dollar purchase. Right. You probably still owe ninety two thousand because most of that went to interest. interest. But they've gotten twenty thousand dollars. Right now, like you said, they come to you falling behind. Oh my goodness, we'll take this off your hands. You still owed ninety two thousand on the home. We're not going to talk about the twenty thousand we already collect. That's irrelevant. Uh, right. Um. And now you have all these fees for an additional three four thousand. Uh, we'll just take that house off your hands for 65. And 
50, 65,000. And you can walk away, headaches over, won't keep hurting your credit, right. blah, blah, blah. We've got the property. And what is the bank going to do? Resell so it again. For triple. For, sometimes if the market's up, now your $100,000 home is worth one we We're just going to resell it, get somebody else, and we're going to start the cycle all over again. And, and we're going to make millions upon millions of dollars off this one property address if we can keep flipping it over and over and over again. Wow. That's and you know, I, I'm I'm blessed to be with the person that I'm with because she kind of understood this immediately and uh she helped us really figure that whole situation out. Um mortgage payments are are you know the fact that they don't tell you that in the beginning you can pay your mortgage off, you'll be fine. Don't push it at all. Don't push like it's it's you know for the first time homeowner it's like oh wow I'm, I'm i'm doing something really amazing like i'm i'm leveling up from what my family used to have to having something that's like my own but they don't tell you the things that are built into this as you're growing in this field of you know having a home um and i think that's you know there should be like a class or something before you walk into purchasing your first home um, they tell you first time homeowners, uh, incentives and this, that, and a third. And you run thinking like, okay, cool. I'm going to buy a home and I'm going to get all this extra money. And when you really realize it's not everything that they, ex you know, explained. Well, they're running to get you in debt. That's problem number one. I mean, it, it is a house and we're humans. We need shelter. Right. We, we need to live in shelter. We're not creatures that were made to live in the elements. Mm -hmm. Um, but basically... They are running to get you in debt. Right. I mean, the bank is going to make a lot of money. The title companies make money. The real estate agent, you know, people make money. I make money. I'm, a, I'm an insurance agent. Right. You know, but you're, they're really pushing you to get you in the debt. And then like you said on the back end, they never, there's no education, definitely nothing required, how to get out of this loan or get out of this debt or cut some of these fees or interest sooner. The only thing I ever see is um, that's that's really pushed even by the bank. And this is still for their benefit is making the multiple payments over the, the month. Right. So, but they're still just lined up with your paycheck. It's not, they're really helping you. They're like, uh, they're less likely to default if we just let them line up with their paycheck. So we know they get paid every two weeks just because we did their loan underwriting and right. we had them turn in their pay stubs and their bank <laughs> statement. We already know how they get paid. Right. So let's just have them pay. So every time they get paid, we take a payment and they just get used to it that way. Got True, it. it does save you interest. I mean, paying even a little bit extra or paying it before the due date, it does cut off some interest mm -hmm. from the overall cost of your loan. But I think um, uh, I think um, normally you save like seven years, seven or 10 years off your payments if you do it like that the entire time of the loan. So from the time you start, until you make your last payment, you may shave off like seven years of payments. But my question is, how do you live? What do you Look, mean? Because you're paying extra. You're paying your household needs. Oh, 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 this is easy for me, for my clients that I talk to. Mm -hmm. Oh, you never get a, you never take the loan out for what they fully um, qualify you for. That's really? great. Oh, never. I would I never suggest people do that. OK, so you go in and you do the prequal and I can make, you know, oh, you 
Miss Wilson, you can buy a $500,000 house. Okay, first of all, we're in Georgia. A $500,000 house in Georgia is a mini mansion. Right. I have two people in my household and a dog. <laughs> we don't need a mini mansion. I'm not trying to impress not nan one person. Right. I don't need a house that big. So thank you. <laughs> For uh, boosting my self-esteem that you think I'm worth $500,000 worth of debt, mm-hmm. but I'm not interested in a $500,000 loan. Got it. So I tell people to be reasonable and take what you can afford. Okay. If you have two incomes, it's smart to qualify on one income. So Got if the it. one person ever loses a job, COVID happens, whatever, whatever, you've already qualified yourself on the one income. So with the one income... Um, something happens, then you just have the two incomes. Or, right. you know, something happens, you qualified on the one income and the second income was always your extra. Right. So. Um, that's really, really interesting to know because at the end of the day, not not having that education and telling people. So the the mystery, and not even the mystery, but the, the hype when you live in New York is like, mm. move down south. You can get a huge house for practically no money at all. And, you know, they come here and like you said, they get pre-qualified. They say, well, you can get a house for 500000 They automatically want to do that without really understanding. Like your cost of living and your cost of gaining income is completely different mm. than when you were in New York. Mm-hmm. So they're qualifying with their New York income. income not realizing that once you get here to Georgia, it's not the same. And now you are paying five on a $500,000 house with, you know, a $200,000 income. So it's, it's an interesting, you know, again, the education, it's not there. Yeah. They don't. And I mean, again, I'm, I'm not necessarily meaning to slam everybody, anybody, whoever, but, um, you know, the same thing coming from, from Evanston, Illinois to Georgia, I could buy 12 houses for the price of one decent house there. Right. Um, it's kind of the shiny thing. It's the I could never have it where I was from. So I'm going to get it now because this is my first opportunity in my life to ever get a house this big or this nice right. because I couldn't afford it where I was. Mm-hmm. Um, so I get that. I understand. And, you know, like I said, people who got caught in this this uh, mortgage bus twice. <laughs> now I'm upset with you got caught the second time. But when the when you do it for the first time, you just don't know what you don't know. Right. You know, some stuff you got to learn by experience. And I get it. But at the same time, it's like, like you said, you got caught twice. Yeah. When you get caught twice now, that means you're missing some lessons here. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I get it. I, I get it here. I can cut my house right now is on one whole acre of land. Mm. I promise you, I am not lying. I am not exaggerating. You guys, anybody can go look this up. There is not a residential property in Evanston, Illinois, that has one whole acre of land. Our My hometown, the city is so small. The actual uh, square miles of the city is so small mm. that you there are no residential properties with one acre of land. It ju- wow. it's, we don't have, we have shopping centers that are on just over an acre or at an acre, like a whole shopping center on an acre. Oh, wow. 
we just don't there's we have no land we're landlocked we're locked by two True. suburbs on two sides of us mm-hmm. we have the lake to the east of us and we have chicago to the south of us so and chicago's not giving up no land lake michigan's not mm-hmm. giving up any mm-hmm. land right and then the two suburbs that are on the other sides of us they're not, not giving, giving up, up their land so that little bitty corner that that is makes up that suburb yeah. that's it there's no extra and housing is expensive, so I, I don't know many people that can afford to buy up a block or even a half a block right. because they want this full acre. We so have. when I got down here and I got a whole acre, again, it's it's the same concept. I got a whole acre of land. Well, in Georgia, eh, no. it's not that's not really to you know right. It's nothing to brag about here. But you go back and you talk to somebody that's like in you know where you're from in Evanston or in New York, and you're like, yo, I'm on a acre and a half or right. an acre and they're just like you have that right and then they think it's a mansion, mansion. and i'm like no, no it's actually the same size house i owned when i was back at home it's the same square footage it's just on a huge lot right <laughs> <laughs> i just have places that i can go run out in the backyard exactly now. um is there anything that you would suggest someone just trying to buy their first home to do to you know prepare themselves um, you know, the easiest thing, we just talked about qualifying for the loan. Mm-hmm. So I would suggest anybody, you know, be realistic, especially in your first home purchase, be realistic to what you need, what you have to have, because it's a stepping stone. Traditionally, people buy the first home, it gains some equity, you sell it, you go to the next level home or your family gets bigger. So you have to move up or whatever, right. but you keep rolling over your gains from the previous location to the next location. So it becomes a little bit, and then you've got the credit history. So it becomes easier and easier to get bigger houses or better loans or whatever you're going for. Mm -hmm. Um, So first time home purchase uh, buyers, just, you know, my first home was just a thousand square feet. Okay. You got to be realistic. Everybody has to start kind of at the bottom. Right. You know, some people don't, but most people start at the bottom and you build just, you build yourself up. Mm Uh, Again, I never worried. I've always been a finance person. So because the bank told me I could have it, didn't mean that's what was good for me. Right. Uh, I don't even know for sure that they qualify you on what's best for you knowingly. They Mm. qualify you on what's best for them. Right. So you need to realize they may not know. When you do your loan application, uh, Maybe I'm planning to go to grad school. So I know in another two years, I want to go back to grad school or law school and I'm only going to be able to work part time, no time, whatever. Right. That wasn't on your mortgage application. It doesn't say in two years, do you plan to cut back on your income? Do you plan to go? They don't put that. So unless you're being responsible enough to say, okay, I know in two or three years I'm going to have this dramatic shift in income. Mm hmm. You have to account for that for yourself. Right. So, yeah, I could get 500000 but I know I'm going to law school in two years and my same income's not going to be there. So I don't want to go over 200 or 250 Right. That's your responsibility. Gotcha. That, the bank is saying how the snapshot today, how you look today. Yeah, this is a feasible. This. Exactly. They don't know you're, you've got future plans. Right. So you got to do that for yourself and- you know, other whether you have a financial advisor, planner, a good friend, somebody who's owned properties before, mm-hmm. family members that you trust that will help you. Um, I don't know how else because the bank isn't going to help you with that. Right. Um, 
do you suggest real estate as an investment? Oh, yeah, definitely. Because that's a necessity. You know, there's things that are necessities. So right. they're always good investments. Real estate, mm -hmm. land all together, or real estate's an investment. People have to live places. Um, some form of health care. I'm not really big into the big health care system, but people right. will get sick. So whether it's a natural path or whether you sell herbs and, you know, natural um, medicines or whatever, mm -hmm. that, you know, that's a good industry. People will die. So there's always going to have to be somebody who's willing to bury and right. do the things right. to bury. You know, there's things, clothing and food. Right. We right. always right. have to be clothed. We we'll always have, have to, to eat. Right. So, I mean, real estate is a basic. Gotcha. A human basic. Gotcha. Um, wow, this is a bit very informative. And there was one other thing you said to prepare. Um, oh, well, we had already said about, um, no, there was, oh, the emergency fund. That oh. was the part I was going to, second part to that, how to prepare. <laughs> <sighs> like when you buy the house and you buy the car, it is not just the payment. No, it's the upkeep. You've got insurance. You've got taxes, tags, titles. You've got things that are going to go wrong and break. You've got things you're going to want to upgrade. You've got all these little incidental things that are going to either come up scheduled or are going to be unexpected right. surprises. And you got to have money for it. Mm -hmm. So don't be house poor. <laughs> Again, don't take the full loan amount if that means you're only going to have $100 a month in your in your whatever fund, your splurge fund, your half fund fund have fun fund, whatever it is. Right. Don't limit your um, self to not having money available when things arise. Gotcha. You know, here's something that was really interesting. Like I knew about ta property tax, um, but I didn't know how it was paid for. Right. So the property taxes came. And then again, I'm going back to my mom's house that she had in Florida um, when the property taxes came, they were like, you owe this amount of dollars. And I was kind of like, why? I own this home. Like, why am I paying? You own it until you don't pay those property, property taxes. Property taxes. <laughs> and that was very clear. And it was like, you didn't tell me that there was property taxes attached to this. And then what they didn't tell me. So one of the homes my mother owned, she owned outright. Mm -hmm. So it was like there was no mortgage payment, but there were still property taxes on it. Mm -hmm. So it didn't I didn't realize until recently when I purchased my own home, my own first home, that the property Our taxes are due in about 10 days now. <laughs> in Henry <Yeah>. County. <laughs> <laughs> but the mortgage company actually took their okay. the, the toll. Thankfully. So you're escrowed. Okay. Yeah, I'm not escrowed. But that's that I didn't understand. Right. That. You paid your mortgage and they took a portion of that mortgage money and put it in escrow. When you own your home outright, there is no escrow. So you have to And they save. don't teach. No. I I do a lot of that. You know, when I have a new client that calls me for an insurance quote, mm -hmm. I've pretty much now made it my responsibility to educate people on mortgages. I really do. Because when they call me with their brand new, I need a quote, I'm closing on a home in 15 days. I do my whole spiel. It's just memorized at this point because the real estate agents don't tell them. The loan officers don't tell them. They are just 
all over and they're stressed out. Right. I had one this year. They had this poor woman so stressed out about her property. I, I was allowing her to call, and I was actually taking her call. Wow. So she was calling me because she was a driver at um for the bus, Atlanta Marta. Mm-hmm. So she worked, you know, kind of late hours. I would let her call me sometimes at nine or 10 o'clock at night because they just had her so stressed. And half of her stress came from she didn't understand why they were asking her for things. She didn't understand the deadlines. She didn't understand why she could or couldn't take certain options. Right. And so I'm just literally coaching her, which Mm -hmm. really, in my opinion, should have been the real estate agent's job. But I felt so bad that the woman was so stressed out. She wanted to walk away from the property at one point. Mm -hmm. And I didn't want her to walk away from the property, not for my sale. I didn't, it wasn't about my sale. We make very low commission as a, as an insurance agent. I make Mm -hmm. nothing nearly close to what everybody else makes in the commission, which is no big deal. I didn't want her walk, to walk away, though, because I knew she was getting a good deal. Like, I see new home purchases. I see right. where the prices go. Uh-huh. And I knew she was getting a good deal. And right. I know in the long run, it wasn't going to hurt her. Right. So I wanted her to stick to it because she, um, you know, the property had been through some issues before with some other buyers or sellers or whatever. And uh-huh. um, so she kind of slipped through this little sliver of this really good deal. And I was like, look, you're getting, I'm telling you, I promise you, you're getting a really good deal. I know they're driving you crazy. Please hang in there because this is a good deal. And I don't know if you'll be able to get a deal like this someplace else. Right. So I allowed this lady to call me at lots of times of the hour of the day because I didn't want her to burn out and walk away. It's a, it's a tough situation. And um, like I said, I'm thankful that, we had people like you that kind of guided us. And, you know, my wife, Avita, she was very, very adamant about figuring out all of the necessary steps mm-hmm. and and f- understanding what it was to walk into this mortgage. And, you know, like I said, knowing now, if I would have known now, then mm-hmm. I would have definitely been in a different situation. But, you know, this this housing market is a very interesting interesting but look this is all of thing. us so i'm i'm sitting on the high horse now feel like or sound like i'm preaching <laughs> but i'm like house i think this is my fifth house maybe okay. i've owned fifth or sixth house i've been through this a lot and i've been through all the houses i've owned have been in three different states so the laws and the rules have been a little different in every state mm-hmm. so i've seen and i've i mean i've had them bust you know, I had one short sale before. I've seen a lot of the processes right. in a lot of places. Mm-hmm. So I just have gained a lot of information because of the experience. But, you know, people told me what to do on the first purchase and I didn't want to. Right. And now hindsight, 20 years later, I'm like, man, had I listened to the two or three people that told me to do this, I'd be this far ahead or I'd have this or whatever. But, I, you know. Same yeah. thing. Just like I said, when people move down and it's their first opportunity, you have it in your mind. You want to do this. It's my first opportunity. I want to go for it. It was the same thing with me. Mm-hmm. People were like, oh, you should buy a, a duplex or a four unit. And I was like, I want the single family home. Okay. 20 years later, I'm like, man, that would have been smart <laughs> to buy that multi-property <laughs> home. But, right. you know, so what? I learned my lesson. Guess what? I know better now. Right. And you can invest and better now. I can invest better. And when it's my daughter's turn, hopefully she'll listen to me. Mm-hmm. Maybe she, my mother told me I didn't listen to her. Maybe my daughter will listen to me. Maybe. I don't know. We, we live, we learn. <laughs> we live, we learn. Yeah. But we get better. Mm-hmm. So, uh, it was anything pl- you want to add? 
No, it was a pleasure. I've gained actually a lot of knowledge from this. Really? Um, yeah. I, I, I can really, truly say, like, I understand a lot more of where we are in this selling and buying market of houses and where real estate is and where the government is and how, what role they technically play yeah. and what role the banks play. So I appreciate you. Thank you. Yeah. So they're not in it to lose. They're in it to win. I don't win. know why, you know, that's this falsity that's been going around here. They're helping us during COVID. I'm like, no, nah, mm. they're not really helping you. No. They're... They're setting you up for the low key hurting you right. with a very nice smile and and well, stimulus checks and all. none of this actually was helping you. It no. was going to hurt you just on the back end. So the balloon payments are up just like stimulus checks. They yep. were all great when we were getting them. But oh, now... we were running to the mall and stuff. But now <laughs> the price of the dollar is plummeting. And because the value has plummeted, the price of everything is going up. Right. And that's the back end of it. So we're um, in a tough space. Yeah. So you just have to connect the dots. Yeah. Well, thank you very much. Kevin. Thank you so much for having me. I wanted you guys to hear his voice. <laughs> he is now recording. Thank you. He's thank doing you. all the back end stuff because you guys know that's not what I do. And uh, we'll have his lovely wife, Avita, on with us, too. She's my sister in finance. You've heard him speak very highly of her. So she will be a guest as well. Um, okay, so you guys know the routine. Like, follow, sh subscribe, share, rate, review. There you go. Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Those are the places you can find me. Um, have some future so shows coming up, guys. So stay tuned. Thank you guys for listening. It's always a pleasure. I'm glad to be back again. Uh, any requests or anything, readysetfree.me is how you can reach me or kai at readysetfree.me is the email. So thank you very much. It's been a pleasure. You've been listening to Kai Wilson at the Ready Set Free Podcast. We'll talk to you later. Bye-bye.